says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And it's uh, round two in the NRL this week. Joining me for the show is my good mate, 60s. Got plenty to talk about, mate. Got another big segment with a special guest. But uh, let's kick things off with a few important uh, bits of laundry and bits of housekeeping. Well, mate, I think the most important one just to mention is for any Eels uh Supporters out there who also happen to be Parramatta Leagues Club members, the voting for uh, board of directors positions, it closes this Sunday. Please, it's a very, very quick process. It's important that people vote because the more votes that you get, the more true that result is. And uh, for the sake of the stability and uh, the governance of our club, and and it's not just Parramatta Leagues Club because two Parramatta directors Cross get appointed. Parramatta Leagues mm-hmm. Club directors get appointed to the Eels Football Board. So if you haven't voted, don't let the date slip by. It closes on Sunday. It takes you all of about ninety seconds to two minutes to vote. Please vote. Your vote counts, and um, that that goes a long way towards you having a say in your club. Well said, mate. So make sure you get your votes in by Sunday. But for us and in the tip sheet, mate, let's get right into it as we jump into News Team Assemble! All right, let's talk Parramatta Eels news, mate. Not much doing this week, just a little bit of action. Uh, obviously, the, ma- the major thing for Saturday is the accompanying Johnny Manor walk for lymphoma as the Parramatta Eels and the Cronulla Sharks come together to celebrate and the life of Johnny Manor, obviously Tim's younger brother, and uh, try and further that to a great cause, helping research for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, the Eels and Sharks will have a number of ex-players, current uh, personalities, uh, club executives and, and leaders walking from Parramatta to Points Bet Stadium, which I think is in the vicinity of 35 kilometres, mate, in order to bo- raise both awareness and funds for the cause. Obviously, uh, this has been celebrated by the two teams in the past with the Johnny Manor Cup, but this is taking it to the next level. Uh, not much to say about this in any sort of negative context. It's just a, a really good thing from two good clubs. And uh, no matter how many kilometres it is, walking from Parramatta to Points Bet Stadium. That's a fair walk. So That, that is a fair uh, hike. And I'd be interested to see what the actual path is. I, I'm not, I've never really considered walking from Parramatta to the city, let alone to the Shire. So I'd be interested to see how they actually trek there uh, on that 35-kilometre journey. But, yeah, that'll happen on – it's not happening – is it happening on Saturday? Uh, or was it happening prior to it? But uh, either, either way, obviously, an incredible cause. And I'm, there'll be – Avenues to donate uh, via the club, uh, I believe. Yeah, the Johnny. So the club is linked to the site. So the Walk for Lymphoma. You can visit uh, johnnymanorwalk.com. That is J O H N N Y M A N N A H W A L K dot com, uh, and that's how you can help raise funds if you'd like to pledge anything towards that journey and towards that cause. So yeah, make sure to drop by if that's uh, your prerogative. And I think any time, right at this time, there's a lot of causes that are going around, and and rightly so with uh, flood relief, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but 
this is a great cause and, and it's one that's close to the hearts of uh, quite a lot of rugby league supporters, especially in the Cronulla and Parramatta camp. So get behind it. And then talking about NRL news featuring the Parramatta Eels now, and it's this one's, a I wouldn't say it's tenuous, but we're sort of monitoring the Jack Bird situation. He's got a two-year offer from the Dragons in terms of being an extension on the table. Two years, 1.1 million is the mooted offer from the Red V. It had been previously revealed that Bird had wanted more than $500,000 a year from the Dragons in order to stay. Uh, but in that uh, article, it was mentioned that the Eels have also been in contact with the uh, Dragons back rower and, and a sort of super utility too. Uh, he uh, mentioned that he hasn't had a chance to speak to Brad Arthur since the start of the year. Yeah, probably at the start of January, he says. Uh, so there was some talk about the Eels having a two-year offer of their own on the table, but... Uh, if Bird's words are to be taken as gospel, and there's no reason why you should you know, discount that, it would seem that the Eels have made it an informal approach uh, going past, and I'm not sure if there actually is a formal off on the table, but you know, something to look at, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess we're going to get some of this happening in terms of the talk about us approaching clubs because we will be in the player market with the departures that are happening from the club. And if you're talking about being able to get a quality back rower, we're losing a quality back rower. So uh, I'd, ha- I'd have to say that it, 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 I think there's, there might be a little bit more than a little bit of smoke there. Yeah. And that, that sort of price bracket, 500, 550, given what we saw with the Zaya Papali'i uh, contract negotiations playing out, that seems to be the upper bracket for where the Eels are willing to go for a high level back rower in their estimation, unless it's someone truly transcendental and I'm not sure there are too many of those players on the market right now so yeah definitely something to monitor and we know the Eels will be in the hunt or on the hunt for a quality edge addition to the team and uh, Bird certainly fits that uh, that scouting report I suppose yeah that's right all right mate now let's keep rolling on as we try and power through this episode got a special guest coming up now and I'll let you introduce him John last week we had the pleasure of introducing our listeners to Spiro Christopoulos from Radio 2GB. He's a producer and involved in a couple of those shows and especially some of their rugby league programs with the wide world of sport and continuous call team. He's got a segment on our podcast now every week, which we are going to call Behind the Mic. So it's our pleasure to introduce again, once again, Spiro Christopoulos. Spiro, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me back, guys, and what a fantastic weekend it was, welcoming back Rugby League to our screens and to the field, eh? Yeah, good to have it back, mate. i tell you what, <laughs> that, uh, that off-season really drags out until you get back to the footy. Big time, big time. Yeah, it was so good. Enjoyed all the matches, but especially getting out to Combank Stadium Sunday afternoon. The weather cleared, great performance, and just fantastic to be back in the heart of Parramatta for an Eels game, I guess. Well, mate, you're the man that's uh, around what's happening in the NRL. You're the man behind the mic there. So what have you got for us this week? Bit to run through, boys. The first thing, obviously, is what a, a great round one performance it was on the whole for Parramatta. There were parts of our game which we can definitely improve, but important to get the win, get the two points, first week of the season, get off to the right start. And there's always so much talk about that first game and perfecting it. And we heard that this week from a few of the players from other clubs. Luke Keary from the Roosters spoke about their focus mm-hmm. over the preseason to make sure round one hit the spot and they performed well. Unfortunately, the Roosters fell short and a bit of an upset against Newcastle. But for Parramatta, as I said, there were parts of our game which we can definitely work on and improve. But 
it was a fantastic start. I was most impressed by the way that the team started and the momentum and, and how they combined to begin the match. And there were parts where we drifted in and out. But in the end, I think strategically we played a, played a good game and we made the most of the penalties and the opportunities that we had. But great to get the win and, and really happy with the performance. Another thing from last week's game, which I really thought about deeply in the stands pretty much from the get-go after we scored our first couple of tries, was how much we're going to miss Reid Marnie next year. He's such a crucial part of our side. He's so important. The value that he adds on the field, ball playing, defensively, organizationally, leadership as well, it's huge. And I think we all underestimate or we don't actually realize the impact that Reid has on our side until we see him playing. And maybe over the offseason, that drifted from our minds and we didn't think about the the presence uh, that he has on the field. But He's just magnificent. He's passing game, but also I, I really liked his short um, short side play play last weekend, mm-hmm. especially to set uh, Sean Russell up for, for that first try. That was just fantastic work and a nice little play, which I haven't seen a lot of from Reed in the past, but I liked. And just generally his grit, his determination, his passion. Another moment that stood out for me in the game was I think after he kicked the 40-20, which I'll talk about in just a second, the emotion on the face, he was just so aggressive and passionate and fired the boys up and he's para through and through it's going to be very very hard to see him in a bulldogs jersey from next year 40 20s i mean it's it's unbelievable from a hooker he's i think he kicked two i'm on my count he kicked two i'm not sure if uh the nrl stats got it wrong and he had one or if i'm wrong but his kicking game as well is such a huge part of our performance and and set us up really well at crucial times in that game when the momentum needed to swing in our favour. So huge realisation and, and we're going to re- misread a lot in uh, in season 2023 and I'm sure that you guys sort of had that same view. Yeah, I think when all the dust sort of settled during that big free agency period where we lost a number of players, uh, we, we've spoken about the Sixes myself, but there was an expectation that Murata was going to depart, go back home, be with his family on a very good deal with the Warriors. That was understood. Papa Lee was a bit of a surprise to lose him to the Tigers, but the one that really stung was Reed Marnie obviously an up-and-coming player in one of the key positions with a, a very diverse skill set, you know, in, in the position that handles the ball the most. And that was always going to be the one that hurt. Even We didn't even expect it really to be a factor. Unfortunately, the Dogs got in with a, a you know, quite a lucrative offer themselves, but you know, it's going to be a big loss for the Eels, no doubt. He's got to do what's best for him, his future, his partner and his, his career. But I think that really we should have thrown as much money as we sort of could have at Reed, If it was for an extra 50 or 100 grand, it might have been worth keeping him because he's so crucial, as I said, to that team and that structure. Josh Hodgson's going to be a, a great little addition to the club, but as we saw last weekend, he's injury prone. He's one ACL or one bad knee injury off potentially being medically retired, as we've seen with a few players in the past. So I don't know if it's the smartest or most strategic move, and I know that the Bulldogs came in with a super lucrative offer, but... Reed was one player that I think we had to lock down. It'll be interesting to see whether Hodgson really makes it to Parramatta. If he if he suffers a bad injury this year, I wouldn't be surprised if he is medically retired and he, he may not even come to Parramatta. You just never know what's going to happen. And I do wish him all the best and I hope he makes it there and I'm sure he'll have a great impact on the side. But he's not going to be Reed Marnie, that youth, that young player to the side. He'll bring a different style of play, but Reed is going to be a, a huge omission and, and we're going to miss him. Another part... Yeah, Can I, I was just gonna I was just gonna jump in there too. The yeah. um the the reaction of 
supporters, like you can understand there's a, there's that disappointment that's there. There's a, there's a little bit of anger that's there, but I think for some, it was crossing, starting to cross the line, the, the, the way think people were expressing their feelings about Reed leaving the club. And I think what we had to view from the point of time where he said he was, he was gone, but he was going in 2023 is that we had to embrace the fact that he was going to be there in 2022. And if people had any doubts about how he intended to stamp himself in that last season with the club, surely those doubts were erased after that performance on the weekend, because you, you talked about all the, all everything that he brought. And I think on top of everything else, just that energy level that he brought into the game, um, uh, it really emphasised his intent for the season. And I think we have to look forward to that. And next year, how, however it's covered, whether it be through um, Hodgson, whether it be through Rain, who incidentally had a, a cracker of a game in the uh, Reggie's on Saturday, or whether it's brought through someone coming through the system, like we, with uh, now having Brendan Hands at the club, and how he's going in the uh, in the Reggies. However, we cover it. We're not going to get another Reed Marnie. We need no. to understand that. But will we get someone who can fit our systems the way we needed it to? Because let's face it, uh, Reed's developed year on year on year. And as you even mentioned yourself uh, just then, Spiro, that there were some aspects of Reed's play that you hadn't really seen before from Reed, especially some of the blindside stuff. And that's an example of, um, you know, that development being added to his game um, through the coaching systems at the club. So I'm hoping that we're that first of all we we focus on this year. We get the we get everything that we can out of Reed, and then we look at, um, you know, where we go when we get to that point. I mean, obviously the club's gonna whether they feel they need to do extra recruitment, whether they sort out just how. Um, how stable uh, uh, that Hodgson's knee is, uh, whatever the case may be. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to what Reed brings this and year. The entire backdrop to the Reed money situation in terms of him leaving the club provides a fascinating discourse. It's an, an eternal discourse, really, for all clubs in the NRL in regards to how you manage to cap, how you compete with some other clubs that are either going to offer up huge overs because they're trying to get out of the cellar like the Bulldogs or they've got a better TPA situation when you look at, say, the Roosters and even the Melbourne Storm. We, we know for a fact that Parramatta's TPAs aren't anywhere near as powerful as some of those other big clubs and they're trying to be a consistently competitive club via either junior development or astute recruitment as we've seen in the past of guys like Nia Corey and Papa Lee, both are going on to bigger contracts now. And yeah, it just it, there, there are so many pros and, and cons and good arguments on both sides of the debate. And like you said, Spiro, you would have loved to have seen the club pony up and, and pay Reed uh, no matter what. And there, there is merit to that idea too because it's such an important position. But on the flip side, I'm sure you could put a good argument for being more cap conservative and sort of sticking to your budgets. And if another yeah. club wants to overpay, you're going to have to let them overpay because we've seen in the past with the Eels, you can get into cap hell very quickly when you start matching or making very big offers for outside your sort of evaluation rates. Definitely agree. And I think that is something that the club has got a lot better at over the last couple of years especially. We're not going to just pay players overs just for the sake of keeping them or we're, we're very astute with our recruitment and I think that's a big plus and, and something which our board and, and our behind-the-scenes and directors are doing a lot better and that's a real credit to them, especially after 
the 2016 salary cap situation. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. And, and that whole focus on this year, this season, winning a premiership is is the main priority. And Reid still has a whole year to go and he can make a big contribution and he can lead us and guide us to a premiership. So I agree with you guys. That's that's completely the focus and he can still do it this year. So a lot of excitement uh, and potential around that. Another part of the game, uh, the Parramatta game, which I wanted to chat with you guys about is that right side defence. In my opinion, it's been an issue for quite a while, even when Blake Ferguson was playing in that wing spot. And now we've seen new recruit Bailey Simonson slot in there. And we're still seeing that same sort of issue. And I just think that the questions need to be asked of how are we going to solve this? It's one minor part of our game, which is costing us a lot of points and potentially going to cost us results throughout the year. And it has cost us results in the past. And I'm just a little bit concerned about the potential of that becoming a bigger issue as the year goes on. They just need to stamp it out, fix it. It's really, the, in my opinion, one of the main weaknesses in our game is that right side defense. I mean, Will Penasini is a great center and he played really well on the weekend. But just I don't know whether it's the combination, whether they're learning each other, Will's trying to learn Simonson being outside him. I'm not sure exactly what the problem was. But I just think we need to to put that part under the under the spotlight, under the microscope, and work on that right side defense. Because the left side defense, we don't really have that issue as badly. It's more the right side. So I'm keen to hear what you guys have to say. But I think this is one part of our game which we just need to jump on and fix. Yeah, I think there was a lot of criticism that um, that was leveled uh, over the weekend at Bailey Simonson, and um, and I, I was probably one of those that was thinking. Oh, he, he's he's doing something horribly wrong there, and and I think the the there was might have been one occasion where he he left his wing when he shouldn't have. But when I was watching the replay of it, and I was and there were some good camera angles that picked up his movements, and and also um, uh, Will Penasini's, and you could see that they were holding their spots, but the, that entire side didn't number up in defence, like. And you could you could probably see it even from the stand that when the shi- the Titans were ready to shift to their left in a big way, you could see we were going to be cut short, and and especially that mm. try where they were they had a two player overlap when they ended up scoring. But you could see that um, Simonson was holding his spot. He was watching he was watching uh, Will Penasini and where he was moving, and I think Will Penasini was looking at his inside. And I, I was just left with the, the thought that it was coming from further in the issues on on Sunday. So uh, that was my observation, John. I'm not sure what you thought. Yeah, I feel when I looked back at the tape, the the biggest uh, error that Simon's made was at the start of the second half when Sammy managed out leaping for that opening try, the mm. only try of the second half. The the right side issues I felt were more systemic of players on the interior of that right edge getting pulled in. Uh, stripping them for numbers out wide. And and Simonson, you know, maybe he could have played uh, one or two of those instances maybe a little bit better, but I felt his positioning was relatively fair. Uh, but yeah, the, the Titans are able to strip us for numbers further in. And then once you get into that situation as a winger, it's either you, you bat the ball, get the intercept, or it's really a try. And so, you know, I, I wasn't too upset with him defensively. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more offensively, but that's also a function of a team playing heavily to the left where the other flanker scored a hat-trick within 33 minutes. Uh, so, mm. yeah, that, that we'll, we'll get a chance to showcase him offensively and, and his speed in um, the upcoming games. But, yeah, it certainly wasn't a flashy uh, NRL or club debut for Simonson, but 
yeah, I wasn't too upset when I went back and looked at the tape. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were probably quick to criticise him, but as you guys have pointed out, it's it's a broader issue oh. of that side defensively. Well, there, there, there so, are plenty, plenty of wingers that you know make bad decisions defensively, yeah. and, and Simonson's going to make bad decisions throughout the course of the year. It just happens. It's one of the most polarising positions as a fan to watch. But uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those things where I think in this particular case, most of the issues were further on the interior. But yeah, mm. cer- certainly uh, wingers... They're in the spotlight, perhaps maybe fullback is the only other one because you can you save tries obviously at the back line, but wingers are are in the spotlight every week for wrong or right decisions. Yeah, hundred percent. It it sort of makes them look bad, I guess, and it exposes them particularly. But it's a, a broader issue coming from the inside, and I I do agree with you that at the start of that second half when uh, Sammy leapt and, and and got the ball and scored, that was quite disappointing. I think you know Bailey. He didn't even jump for the ball, really. He had his back turned uh, to the, the Titans' line, which was a little bit surprising. But we've got to cut him a bit of slack. It's his first first game at a new club. He's settling in. He's starting to get used to it. We got the win at the end of the day. And, and as you said, we're going to get to see him uh, in some space, hopefully, over the upcoming games and over the next few weeks. Um, Jaden Campbell, uh, this is another bit of controversy from Sunday's game. He wasn't put on report he wasn't sent from the field and, and I want to dissect this a little bit with you guys Sean Russell was fantastic and really cemented his spot on the wing he was great and I think people underestimate how hard it is as a winger sometimes when you get the ball and you've got space to actually win the race to the line and I think Sean Russell did fantastically well and he proved himself and he should get that that, that winger spot really every week once he's back uh, so he cemented his spot but Jaden Campbell's tackle on him was a little bit controversial. It looked to me that it might not have been intentional, as the NRL have stated, but knees to the to the head or, or knees to the, the the torso and the ribs. Surely, it's something which needs to be sort of looked at by the match review committee. We had last year uh, Dylan Brown, obviously that late hit on uh, on uh, Drew Hutchison mm-hmm. at Banque- at it was Bankwest Stadium back then. He copped a couple of weeks for it and. There was a lot of talk and a lot of controversy around that. I do see a little bit of a difference with what happened with Jaden Campbell, but do you guys think that he, he should have copped a little bit of a, a suspension or oh, at least put on report? I think he should have put on report. I think when you look at the two uh, situations, obviously Dylan Brown and Hutchison and then uh, Russell and Campbell, I think it is quite objective to say that Dylan's was worse. He led with yep. the knees only, was no attempt to tackle. He deservedly got the three weeks on the sideline. But there was also, to go along with it, a massive, massive headhunt, witch hunt for him in the media too. On the flip yeah. side, there's been one small segment on NRL 360 and then I think Crawley's been the only journalist to actually pursue any sort of justice for what is foul play uh, for Sean Russell in the press. Everyone else has had you know, tight lips uh, sealed shut. And I don't really know why because it was... It, I don't think there was bad intent in it, but you know, there's a lot of high shots where there's no bad intent and they just mis-execute and they get time off as well. Um, and ultimately, a player is being left sidelined with two broken ribs and a punctured lung, and I don't think he's left hospital yet. Uh, there well, was, he I, hasn't. And, and, and oh, I'll, I'll come in. How, how many crusher tackles do you think are intent? Yeah, and how many crusher tackles well, start? I, I, start I, would say, I would say virtually 0%. Exactly. So and, that's right. And the, the, the match review committee's logic was that there was either the, the hand either arrived slightly before or simultaneous with the knees, therefore constituted a legal tackle, 
even though the hand made high contact of Russell's head, it didn't hit the board. It went on Grossi's chin. But by that logic, no crusher tackle should ever be penalised because all, almost all crushers start as legal tackles and then finish with the guy getting put in a bad position. It's just a terrible logic sequence from the match review committee to justify not charging someone. And I don't really... We're not asking for a witch hunt. We're not asking for Jaden Campbell to be, you know, ostracised for making a mistake. He just needed to not get, at all. He needed to get a week or two off for making that making said mistake. And the well, thing is, I, I want to come in here and say, was that his only? Exactly. Error the, in, in, in even that, in that single yeah. game, there was a pattern of behaviour. If you go back and watch the Sean Lane try and the Wunga Blake try, particularly Wunga's try, Wunga was mm-hmm. also lucky to escape a, a trip to the hospital because Campbell did the same thing. Slid him with the knees, hundred percent, and it got 100%. Wanga in, in the abdomen. But hap- uh, thankfully for Wanga, it got him in like the obviously the the non bony part into the the actual ab, uh, not, the abs themselves, not the ribs. So yeah, it, it's one of those things where Campbell made a mistake, and he doesn't deserve to be you know burned at the stake for it. But the MRC and the judiciary, who just had a huge overhaul to provide greater mm. consistency as part of their mission statement before round one, have already started off on the wrong foot. It feels like. Well, mate, what was my fear? Before, like, I, I didn't want to judge them before we started to see evidence of, of what was going to happen. And I think they've started with a massive fail. And and I don't, and, and I wrote about this, and I don't want to witch hunt on Jaden Campbell. But the fact remains that as soon as you ignore the type of tackle that he made and where his knees ended up, because let's, let's not, let's just completely take out intent. Let's completely take out, um, you know, what might have hit Sean Russell's body first. And and but that but, that that is why the careless, reckless, and intentional grades exist. Exactly. So we have to take that out, and yet they're putting that at the forefront. Like any of the any of the commentary on the game, any of the feedback from the match review committee are all starting with intent. And where the first contact was made. Hey, how about we leave that for his defence counsel in a hearing? Because that's where all that sort of stuff comes up. It's not. It's not up to the match review committee or or to the the commentators to provide official defence for uh, a player who's actually guilty of putting the tackle player into hospital with serious injury. And you know we. We as fans, and and you acknowledged just a moment ago, that Dylan Brown's tackle was far worse. But I tell you what, Dylan Brown had no intent of dropping his knees, and I spoke to Dylan about this. And he just said, oh, man, I just stuffed up. He said he cut back in a way that I didn't expect him to, and he said it it, it just happened. Like, it was was the way that the tackle came about with no intent, and nobody, not not a single Eels fan, objected to the consequence that Dylan Brown faced. And and yet, even after he was after he was suspended, the commentary, the criticism that came his way, there were people that were calling for him to you know have this long term ban hmm. because we were saying it was one of the worst things that they'd seen on a football field. Well. He copped a, a penalty which was commensurate with um, a, a non-intended um, outcome that was really bad. And you know what? Probably if he had a copped a week or two more, uh, maybe we might have lived with that as well. But how can we? How can we have a game where 
there's not even a hearing for what happened with Jaden Campbell. I, I just can't believe mm. it, especially as we said, when there were other near identical tackles, but simply with a different outcome during the game. So he obviously has a technique that he wants to use when the players get down low to score the try. So he's, if he's going to continue with that, you're going to get some similar outcomes at some other stage. Here's, here's a hypothetical speaking of similar outcomes. Eels meet the Titans in round five, I believe, one of those incredibly short turnarounds between a, like a, a back-to-back or, sorry, a, a round-robin doubleheader there. If mm. there is the reverse situation where Jaden Campbell is sliding over in a corner to score a try and Gufferson comes across and does the same thing where it's simultaneous contact leading him from these, do you think Gufferson's going to get off? No. <laughs> no way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, no. It's a, it's a good hypothetical, but it's that's the problem, I think. And, and exactly what you guys have pointed out about the witch hunt on, on Dylan Brown, it was just unbelievable. It was so brutal towards him. And when you compare this situation, yes, maybe technically there was no intent from Jaden Campbell. I acknowledge that. That's fine. But the fact that there wasn't even a hearing into it and this whole thing of Sean Russell now potentially being out for an indefinite period, that could be six weeks, it could be more. The, 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 number that, the number that's being mooted is between six to 12 weeks. So he, he potentially misses 12, half you know? the season. Exactly right. So we've got one of our star players out for half the season when we're short on wingers anyway. And Jaden Campbell will get off and play this weekend, no worries. But this whole, I think that the policy should be a little bit eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If you put someone in hospital and put someone out of the game for half the season, you should at least cop some sort of punishment for that. doesn't matter if it's in- intentional or not intentional. So I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you guys. It's pretty ridiculous, pretty disappointing, and especially given the fact that we're down on wingers and now we're, we're scrambling and... Opacic, who was fantastic in Reggie's and scored four tries, bringing him back into the side is a great move. But we have to now reshuffle our back line. And we've done that enough uh, with the injury to Hayes Dunster and, and Sevo, obviously. So it's it's very concerning. And ten- but, yeah, it's, tangential it's to what you're good. talking about with our winger depth now, and this is something that Sixties wrote about in his Bumpers Up column, if the Eels now go to the NRL and ask for salary cap dispensation for injuries due to foul play, because they already had one winger going in Hayes Dunster with a hip drop mm. tackle, He's out for the season. We've now got another winger who's potentially out for half a season, but the NRL has not classified it as foul play. How does how does that become a, a point of contention for the Eels to say, well, we need cap dispensation because two players have been rubbed out for either a season or half a season due to foul play, and we we just you know it's hurting our cap now. Does the NRL go back like turn back around and say, well, no, you've only got one winger out due to foul play, suck it up, or do they say, well, you you're kind of right, like yeah, that was a bit of a foul play even if he wasn't reported for it. It just opens up this bizarre can of worms, I suppose, for the Eels now as they try to press forwards. It's it's exactly right, and that's the biggest problem as well, that since it wasn't classified as foul play, it might come back to, to haunt us when we're looking for that cap dispensation. And and the NRL, I'm not sure if they can go back on it and reverse or, or reclassify it, but that's where these little split-second decisions must They've got to get it right. They have to get these decisions right because they have long-term ramifications and effects on the club as the year goes on, especially with, with things like, as you said, the, the cap dispensation. So it's it's concerning. Yep. It's concerning. Hey, on, on the refing and on the decisions as well, just another interesting thing that I picked up, there were three successful captain's challenges for Parramatta on, on Sunday, right? Three decisions which the ref uh, got wrong and, and with the the – a benefit of the review was able to overturn the decision. 
But my question to you guys and my my take on this is we need probably two captains challenges or, or it needs to be brought into the discussions potentially for next season as well because in my opinion, in a game like Sunday's, if one, if just say our first review was incorrect, unsuccessful, and then we don't have any more reviews left, there still could have been two decisions in a very tense game which could have gone against us, which shouldn't have gone against us, and could have potentially affected the result of the match. So there's a, I think there's an issue here in terms of these challenges. And yes, referees are humans; they make mistakes. This happens. But do we need two captain challenges? I think yes, it needs to be brought into into the question and into discussions going into next year because especially in close games, it does really affect the result and little penalties here and there make a difference. Two points, of a penalty goal or, or swing of momentum, it, it hurts. So what, what do you guys reckon? I think my take on this is has to be two captain's challenges and it just sort of exposes that the errors, are they're, they're there with our refs. I, well think, truly. I think there's a lot of room to explore in that territory, Spiro. I think... You look to cricket and their DRS, they had a number of years of play around before they got the number of challenges right in each of their respective formats, whether it's 50 over, test cricket, or the, you know they don't actually do reviews in the Big Bash League in the 2020. Uh, so that's definitely an, an area that they can look into because like you said, you take our game on the weekend, we get the first challenge wrong, Let's you know even though it was correctly challenged, let's say it was something slightly different and that was the Mitchell Moses getting pushed challenge, was it? Uh, I th- was that I the first 160s? I, I think I think it was. So let's, yeah. let's let's say that Mitchell Moses actually had his hand on the ball as he gets pushed out, and it was his fault that the ball comes out and we lose that challenge. But then you talk about the the next two challenges, and they played a huge role in the Eels maintaining possession and the Titans not getting a, a penalty, let alone to play the ball. So yeah, there is definitely room for either maybe one challenge a half or two challenges total uh, to be looked at as a as just even a testing ground for preseason games moving forwards. Maybe I think the easiest way they can go forward is probably that one per half. Now, I know that wouldn't have solved the the situation on Sunday where those challenges all came in the second half if you got the first one wrong. Um, but given the, the number of uh, times that we've seen in the past where a, a team has lost that first challenge... And then you see other instances later in the game, and and the commentators are quick to say, "Oh, if only they hadn't burnt that earlier challenge, they, you know, that that one would go their way." Um, I I think that it has to be the two per game, and we have to acknowledge that refereeing is a tough gig, and they're having to make that um, that call on the run and split second call, and they don't always get the best uh, advice from touch judges, um, and 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 we're all probably overly harsh as supporters when we're, we're calling out at games and, 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 and giving them heaps from the sideline and as if we could do a better job than what they do. And, and I've said many times before, if you compare the referees of today to the referees of yesteryear, um, they're, not in the, they're not in the same planet, the referees from yesteryear. The referees of today are that much better. And, that, and I say that with mm. respect for the referees of yesteryear because the referees of yesteryear, they had jobs through the week. They yeah. they weren't under the scrutiny that the referees today are. Um, there there wasn't all the analysis that's done. So, I've got a crazy yeah. idea, 60s and Spiro, that the NRL would yeah. never, ever have considered in the history of their game. What if we brought in a second referee that could help officiate the other stuff the main referee couldn't always keep an eye on? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's radical. Like... <laughs> 
<laughs> it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a bad move. We've moved away from two referees. I, I don't I don't know if they're going to go back to implementing another one, but potentially that's what they need because we've got to cut the refs a bit of slack. And and they do a fantastic job. And and I'm uh, one to not really criticize the referees or blame them for a result. And it was something that was drummed into me when I was playing junior sport and junior rugby union as a kid. But I think potentially, yeah, that could be the solution. Maybe you need a second referee just on the sideline there officiating uh, little things that the referees might miss and, and be in their ear and pick up. And it's important because these things do affect the result of the game. But I think the captain's challenge idea, it works. It's proven successful. There have been a lot of successful challenges and decisions overturned in many different games over the past couple of years. But we need to now think about, is it worth taking it to the next level? And, and I think maybe as a starting point that that one per half you know might be a a a decent compromise because you don't have players who are reluctant to take a challenge in the first half and they think oh you know it might be best to save that challenge for later in the game and and you see that many times where gee they should have challenged there you know that and and i just think you know, we, we accept that there are mistakes that are made in in the game of rugby league. I don't want to see technology coming in for things like forward passes because I think people would be shocked probably at how often there's a forward pass that's thrown simply because of the mechanics of, of trying to throw the ball on the run is that even, even a ball that is trying to go backwards out of the hands, it, it's damn hard to to have that happen and, and and I would hate to see that the amount of stoppages that we would get in a game of rugby league with with some sort of technology that's there. I, I don't mind the human element, but if we've got that fail safe of a couple of challenges and we and we don't need them to have a hand a whole handful of challenges that they can use because we'd get the same thing. We'd get stoppage, stoppage, stoppage. You can imagine what it would be if there was each team had four or five challenges each. And the number of stoppages there would be, and teams using stoppages to to take out the momentum in a game. Mm. Um, so you know you probably don't want to go into a second half, for example, where there's every team, each team's got still those stoppages in their in their bag to be able to use. But I think that one per half is probably a good compromise, where a, a team's not afraid to have a go at, at a challenge in the first half where they really feel that there's something wrong, but, you know, they're not, they're not game to lose it. Um, and so they don't take it. Um, yeah. I'd like, I think one per half. And, and I think that's a good topic to raise too, Spiro, that, that increase in the challenges. hundred percent. And I think, as you said, it needs to be controlled because we can't get, let, let it get out of hand, but it's just looking at the way we do it and, and how we can take it to the next level and make it better because it's been very successful and it's been a great idea on the part of the NRL. Another point of discussion this week in the media after the, the first lot of matches was the independent doctor for HIAs being off-site. There was a bit of talk with the Roosters game. Victor Radley and others were pulled from the field with no concussion symptoms, but because this independent doctor had ruled them as a risk and, and potentially concussed, they were pulled from the field. I think that there is an argument to both sides of the case here. First of all, having someone at the ground, an independent doctor on the sideline, may make it easier and the system a little bit more sound in that 
it'd be easier for them to make this diagnosis and ask the questions of the players and and determine whether they're concussed or not and then make a call. But then there's also the side of the argument there that if a person or if an independent doctor is on the sideline in a game, it's harder for them because they won't get the vision, the angles that they would get if they're offside in the bunker like they are now. So there's been a bit of, a bit of debate on both sides on this one. I'm happy with sort of either, but I, I think I can see the reasoning behind why the NRL put them in a bunker. They get better angles. They're there. They're able to see things a lot better and also consult with each other off-site independently. But what, what do you guys reckon? Do you think that these independent doctors should be on the field at the ground on the sideline or do you think they should be offside in the bunker? My take, they should be in the bunker and, and the system's fine the way it is and you're going to get get hiccups and, and with any system, you're going to get human error like there maybe was over the weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like the having doctors that are there rather than um, ones that are, are trying to make an assessment just based on, on vision. I mean, if they're how can I put it? I, I think the system as it stands, surely there's an element where there is a bit of refinement that can be done. So, for example, with the, the example with the Roosters and um, you had the player ruled out for the rest of the game remotely, remotely, without mm-hmm. any examination by a doctor, um, then... I, I would think that there has to be a, a fail-safe with that. So, for example, the it might be that the the call comes through from the the bunker doctor, um, examine for you know my call is he's out for the game, um, come back with anything that you know can counter that. So, in that instance, maybe the the roosters doctor comes back. Um, neck injury, um, no, um, no concussion symptoms uh, observed uh, under examination, um, past the HIA test, you know, and then uh, comes back, and then they've got, they then have because let's face it, we're we're talking about a system that a is there to protect the the uh, players, but also I think to protect the game. Yeah. I agree. I think that it, it was a long time coming and, and independent doctors being involved is something which is crucial. It's important. It needs to be there, but there's just a little bit of tinkering. And I, I see where you're coming from because it, it is frustrating as well from a club perspective when you've got someone that isn't even there, that's remote, that is ruling on a player and whether they're going to have any involvement in the rest of the clash. So I think that there are arguments to both sides here. Maybe they need to incorporate both and have an independent doctor on the sideline as well who can do that quick diagnosis, chat with them and work out what the issue is and do that uh, regular concussion test protocol, but then also have someone maybe in the bunker that's looking at the angles to also advise them and, and sort of give an indication as to how hard the hit was or, or where where exactly they were hurt, et cetera, et cetera. So it, there's refining. I think it's a good move and I'm glad the NRL have implemented it so quickly and, and have done it. Uh, so early in the season, but let's see how that pans out and and what goes on with that. Cannonball tackles as well, boys. That was another Ugh, thing last weekend, yeah. which uh, which not too not. I don't think in our game. I don't know if you guys spotted any. I, I didn't notice any egregious cannonballs from either team. No, 
which I didn't. But in the, the Roosters game, it was an issue and, and in a few other matches as well. I, I just think this sort of foul play, it, it, there's no room for it in our game. Agreed. They need, a, they need to crack down on it because it's yeah. really dangerous and foul, it is foul play at the end of the day. Yeah. It's foul play and they need to do something about this because it's going to cause some serious injuries. It's going to put players out for large chunks of the season and it's it's been an issue for quite a while and they just they don't seem to to be doing enough about it at this point in time. There are a lot of shades of grey when it comes to foul play and judiciary stuff in the NRL because of, like we've spoken about in this very podcast, how fast the game is and, you know, you talk about snap decisions and how, you know, a high shot can happen or, or even with Jaden Campbell signing for knees, there is some, you know, uh, justification towards, or well, the NRL is trying to have some justification towards it. The cannonballs are black and white. If a man is wrapped up, or, or a lady now at the NRLW is taking full flight, if anyone is wrapped up in a tackle, Tackle's obviously completed and there is, you know, no there is no other action to be taken. And someone comes in below the knees and cuts them down and twists them back with the pressure of other two people tackling them or more. Uh, your only your only outcome there is to hurt. And you look at Lindsay Collins, who was a terrific player, uh, you know, representative caliber front row prospect. Uh, but he's got form now between the trial and this. And and if he isn't correcting his technique right now, he needs to be rubbed out for a long time. And that goes for anyone else that is a, a repeat infringer for cannonballs. Anyone that just does a cannonball in general, the, the only outcome you're going to have is a serious knee injury uh, for the person that's running the ball up. And there is no place in our game for something like that. We saw even in the trials, I don't know if you guys remember, Roosters played the Tigers at Central Coast Stadium a couple of weeks back now. Lindsay Collins did, did, it there did a well. cannonball and mm-hmm. he was fine, right? So it's And, and I think there's a broader issue as well of identifying – players that have particular parts of their game which need to, need some ironing out. I know Dylan Napa from uh, from memory had an issue with the, his tackling technique and uh, Jack Hetherington is another one. I mean, another sin bidding on the weekend. This guy, he needs to clean his game up. So I think it's a broader issue of identifying where players have this repeated behavior like a cannonball um, and, and they need to just stamp it out and, and address it with the player and say, look, you need to fix it. You need to do something about it. Otherwise, there'll be consequences. Then you also look to that later game on Saturday, which was on the continuous call team. I was I was there. I wasn't at the ground, but was covering it in the studio. Trent Luero, I think he, his name is a Storm uh, Storm mm, player. Mm, yeah. He he dropped he dropped the cannonball on Luciano Leilua. Now Luciano was in agonizing yeah, he pain. Was, he was on the ground he, for about two or three minutes. He was, and he's actually revealed that he's got a, a, a knee clicking issue following that. So. He's he's had that issue. Now, he's obviously hurt and he'll battle it and he'll get through it. But uh, Trent Luero from the Storm, he wasn't suspended or fined or anything at all. And so, this, this, this comes back to what was 60's big gripe with the judiciary and has been for years is the inconsistency and in the messaging that they're sending because of it. Uh, and maybe it's a big club, little club thing as Holbrook was trying to, trying to spin it as even though they got the benefit of it being a small club with uh, Campbell. But... It just feels like they're they're pulling names out of a numbers or names out of a hat. Or if you watch that South Park episode where they tried to get the warranty on the blender, I think it was, and there's a headless chicken running around on a on a plane board, and they give you the result. <laughs> it, it feels like the judiciary on the, and the match review committee do not know what they're doing on a case to case basis. And they spoke about this year instituting a video library in order to you know create greater consistency on charge to charge, case to case sort of basis. But here we are, round one, and we're literally getting players that should be rubbed out for weeks for what can only be described as you know borderline intentional foul play, and they're getting fines or nothing. It's crazy. 
Yeah, it's. I think actually thinking back, I think Luero actually copped a thousand dollar fine. But what's in a thousand dollar fine to him uh, when you're earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year? So there's an issue there with cannonballing. They need to do something about it. We saw it last week. I'm sure we're going to see it again, but they need to address that as well. Mm-hmm. And, and just to just to wrap up, guys, on a bit of a lighter note, uh, change of pace here. But Mitchell Moses, some good news this week that he's actually going to become a father, which is uh, exciting for Mitch. I know that uh, we all know that Gutho uh, welcomed Romy, his mm-hmm. uh, little girl, into the world uh, not too long ago, and now Mitch Moses. So who knows? We could have, believe it or not, we could have. Uh, uh, Gutherson and Moses line up together for the, the next, next in NRLW. Yeah. <laughs> in in yeah. NRLW jerseys, you yeah. could have uh, little Gutho, uh, Gutho Jr. at the back and Moses uh, Jr. in the halves. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be a sight? Hey, that that would be something, wouldn't it? To to see them pushing the eels towards NRLW glory in the future. Obviously, a very warm congratulations to Mitch. That's a massive milestone for for any uh, individual and. I'm sure it might even spur him to greater heights. A lot of players, uh, even though that there, you know, there is the problems that come with a young kid in terms of uh, rest and whatnot. A lot of people really uh, take a step after having a kid as well in their lives. So, looking forward to that for Mitch. Hey, and and just quickly on another lighter note before we finish up, Clint Gutherson, uh, his Gutherino was unfortunately mocked. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> on the weekend, I, I, I don't um, mind that. That. Uh, for, for all the sort of uh, outrage about the Campbell incident, which is understandable, I think those sort of bits of spice in the game, I don't mind them. It sets up yeah. a, a really cool rematch uh, for Guffo and Sammy in round five where if uh, Guffo ends up scoring down Sammy's side, you know he's dropping the Gufferino on him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Guffo actually came out, uh, I think it was yesterday or it was a couple of days ago, and he said that he liked the friendly fire yeah. and uh, he, he said there was no no bad blood between the pair, but he will be looking for revenge and quick turnaround. I mean, we play the Gold Coast yeah. in under in under a month mm-hmm. uh, on the on the away. So it'll be a trip to, to the Gold Coast to see Bus uh, Super Stadium. But yeah, it was it was quite funny to see and, and poor Gutha, he had a bit of a hard time of it there. He got left to to clean up and pick up the the pieces of the puzzle at the back there and yeah, save some yeah. tries and and he fell short unfortunately but he he still looked good and I think it's going to be a great year for Gutho and yeah thrilled to see him out there but I'm keen to see the Gutherino I actually spoke to him at the the captain's uh, call the, the media launch two weeks ago about the Gutherino it was actually named by a bloke in a bar a number of years ago I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that but Gutho did give me a bit of insight and he has revealed that. He is going to consider potentially renaming it oh, uh, no. this year. Rebranding? So, What's what? Well, that that's big news. You, you've broken something pretty big there. We're gonna have to now. I've, I've I've got a bit of audio which uh, we can play as well, and uh, it, it does reveal that he is interested in in maybe renaming it and changing it. He thinks it's a bit dated and a little bit um, potentially. Uh, I don't know. It's time, time for a change. Gutho's the Zoomer, the Zoomer generation, two, two to three years and it's already outdated. So this is me speaking to Parramatta Reels captain Clint Gutherson, Clinton Gutherson, as he likes to call himself sometimes, and he called himself in our, in our interview. Here's Gutho uh, weighing in on the Gutherina and what he's planning to do with it in season 2022. You like doing that little dance. They call it the Gutherina, but have you named that or is that just something the media have sort of put on you? Denim Kemp actually started it. He, really? Bloke um, in the bar? Yeah, bloke in the bar. He, he did it a couple of years ago. It's, it's probably out of date now. I might have to come up with something new and 
I don't think I did it last year, so it's going to have to come out maybe something new this year, but it's all fun and games. It's just a part of playing and having fun while you're doing it. So it's just something that puts a smile on people's faces. You have a laugh with the boys, and look, it's just exciting. Well, that was a great little soundbite there, Spiro. Thanks for that one, mate. Looking forward to more of those in the future. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to how fans will take the rebranding of the Gufferino. It's uh, one of those little uh, wait-and-see things now for fans. So nice little exclusive drop there by Spiro on the tip sheet. <laughs> As always, mate, thanks for coming on. Hope you're doing well. And we'll catch you next week with our everything behind the mic and everything around the NRL. Yeah, thank you, time, boys. It was great to chat again and big game this week. Cronulla, Points Bet Stadium, heading back there. It'll be hopefully a big crowd Saturday night and hopefully we go two from two, get the win on the road and and uh, prepare for a huge game, round three, in Melbourne against mm-hmm. Melbourne. Th- thanks once again for having me on and, uh, yeah, go para. That's it, brother. Catch you next week. And the show must keep rolling, 60. So while we say goodbye to our good mate Spiro, let's move on to the previews. Got a massive weekend of action coming up ahead because the junior reps are back after their hiatus due to the insane weather conditions that we had. It's going to be a triple header out at New Era Stadium, uh, kicking off at 10.30 a.m. in the Tasha Gale. Uh, The girls will be playing the North Sydney Bears. Indeed, the Eels are playing the Bears across all three games. Uh, Obviously, the Gale are the best positioned out of our three junior rep teams looking to make a legit push into the finals this year. Looking forward to seeing how they come out of that prolonged break. Um, There's not too much to... I mean, probably the biggest omission here is Alicia Bell, the sharpshooter on the wings. Uh, Maybe, I have to guess, she sustained some sort of injury at training or at school. So that's uh, an unfortunate out for the Eels, meaning that they might have to go up in fours instead of sixes, and that was a huge competitive advantage for them. But aside from that, it looks like the team is quite uh, well-equipped now coming out of that break. Uh, moving on to the mats and ball. Uh, the mats will kick off at 12 o'clock and the ball at 1.30. Mats looking, uh, I think, pretty much full strength here. Uh, they're obviously in a tough spot as well, looking to win out on that shortened competition now in order to make uh, any sort of push towards the postseason. But for the ball, uh, they're going to be doing it tough this week, mate, because a number of key players are out promoted or not so much promoted as holding their place in the Jersey flag from last week, including Arfamilla Stephen, Charlie Geimer, Larry Moagatutia, and halfback Ethan Sanders in their place. Uh, the talented Patrick Spence comes in at fullback. Uh, we see uh, Suliasi Aho back from his stint and injury. Uh, Raf Stratus also coming into the mix on the bench. No, he's 18th man. So uh, they're, they're going to have to push through that. And yeah, Ball doing it very tough, but if they can still win out and give themselves a shot, who knows? But uh, there's still plenty to play for in terms of player development and also coming into calculations for flag selections down the track. Yeah, and just as a counter to that as well, that uh, those, some of those players that have pushed up into the flag didn't train with the SG ball during the preseason. So the team that's running out there is probably Close. maybe a, a little closer to mm. the squad that trained together and, and, and would have worked through all their plays in the preseason. So... Um, you're, you're losing some talent that's being elevated, but at the same time, uh, maybe there's a little bit of a, a familiarity that's there with the players that are taking the field. Now, I plan to be out there on Saturday doing the updates, but the New South Wales Rugby Week haven't announced where their New South Wales TV crew will be this week. And given that it's a triple header at Neuro, that's it's odds on, not odds on, but it's, it'd be a strong favourite for being broadcast on Facebook TV. So that's definitely something to watch, and I will update uh, the, the uh, website itself, TCT, with any information that comes there. So stay tuned for that. But let's move on to the Jersey flag as we continue on on our grand set of previews. 
They're going to be heading out the Points Bet Stadium on Saturday as the curtain raiser for the NRL. Uh, kickoff there is 3.15pm out at Points Bet Stadium. Uh, this is the team, pretty much the same team, barring uh, one or two changes due to what I believe is suspensions uh, that fell just short of the Dragons in controversial circumstances. At fullback this week, after being uh, in the centres last week, is Corey Fenning, one of the impressive players across trials and round one. On the flanks, Afamela Stephen and Matthew Komalafi. In the centres, Josh Tuopolotu and Charlie Geimer. So no sign of Lockie Blackburn still, mate, which is a bit unfortunate, but we'll have to watch that one. In the halves, Dontori Louie and Ethan Sanders. Uh, in the front row, Jack Colavati and Davis, uh, Davis, David Hollis. And I believe that uh, we had a suspended front row from the game there, uh, one of the new recruits. Uh, but in the back row, you've got Nikau Raffel. Sorry, at dummy half, before I get to the back row, is Cruz Natili Schmidt. Uh, and in the back row, Nikau Raphael, uh, Cruz's brother, Felix Natili Schmidt, and Ryan Jones at lock forward. On the bench, David Tui, Brock Parker, Larry Mawaga Tutia. Uh, Jaden Skinner and Ben Olsen. And, uh, yeah, so just one or two changes there. We have the uh, winger Terrell Williams dropping back out as the back line gets tweaked a little bit. And then in the front row, if I just quickly find out, sorry, from two seconds to find my team, my game blog, it was, pardon the wait here, uh, uh, Tavita uh, Tamuapenu was the player that I believe was put on a report at one point during the game, 60s, and it looks like he might have copped the one-game suspension or thereabouts. Yeah, look, a very unlucky loss last week. I don't want to spend too much time worrying about the calls that didn't go their way. Let's just say that the calls didn't go their way. There was quite a few, I thought, they were reasonably significant. By the same token, there were areas in our play that we can work on to because there were still opportunities to win the game, and that's really what the coaches have to focus on is the... Uh, what needed to be done to get the win rather than the things that are out of their control, like calls. And I, I thought it was quite a promising performance from them last week. So mm-hmm. looking for them to maybe take uh, positives out of the game, even a little bit of momentum from that game and, and get the win this week. And the Sharks coming off a first up victory for themselves over the Canberra Raiders, 42-24, to 24, so a palindrome right there, uh, out at Henson Park. So obviously hot start for them. But he was looking to kick off their uh, Jersey Flag campaign in round two. And I think they'll quit themselves pretty well. I like the balance of this team, 60s. Yeah, yeah. It's As I said, it was. I think that there's a lot to like about this team. And I, I saw aspects of their play that um, I think were lacking a bit last year. Last year wasn't the best year for the Jersey Flag. And um, uh, very strong performances last week. And uh, perhaps uh, none better than uh, the... Uh, then Corey Fenning, who's moved from centre that he played last week uh, to fullback with Arthur Miller-Steven moving from fullback to wing. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the New South Wales Cup, who will be kicking off on Sunday at 12.45pm. This is a proper home game for our Reggies after getting the uh, surprise home game last week where they dispatched the Dragons in expert style. They'll be taking on the affiliate for the Sharks in the New South Wales Cup, and that's the Newtown Jets, who, like their flag counterparts, had a strong victory in round one, 36-22 over the Canberra Raiders. For the Eels, they look like this as they sort of uh, bend to the whims of the NRL roster and their injuries. Jordan Rankin moves from the halves to fullback. Solomon Naiduki and Zach Sini, the new face that joined us ahead of that game against the Dragons on the flanks. Hayes Perham goes from fullback to centre with uh, Samuel Loizu also partnering there on the other side of the field. In the halves, Jack A. Williams and Jake Arthur coming back from NRL duties partner each other on each side of the field. In the front row, Ofahi Ogden and Wiramu Gregg, who makes his return from a calf injury 
will be on either shoulder of the outstanding Mitch Rain. In the back row, Ellie Elsgerham and Dan Keir are on the edges. Kai Rodwell at lock forward. Bench consists of Brennan Hands, Peter Tatio, Luca Moretti, and the big unit, Keaton Walkington-Meads, who all got uh, pretty good action last week, I thought. All four players making nice contributions from the interchange. Uh, Peter Tateo was uh, possibly even quite a revelation. Mm. He was very, very impressive, handled the physicality of the grade with ease and was actually throwing guys around, honestly. So uh, excellent debut from the young prop forward or young middle forward, really, who is uh, flag eligible in 2022. So great signs there. They'll be taking on a Jets team that has got a a good mix of uh, NRL experience and uh, just good young players. Former Eel, Reese Davies there in the halves, actually. So that's a... Nice little uh, revenge matchup for both players. And also Charbel Tassapali, 60s, one of our favourites who uh, made the jump this year across to Cronulla. And he's a, a fantastic young man that I can't help but wish the best, except for this week, where I hope that he has a decent game but they end up losing. But uh, yeah, I do love Charbel and I hope he has a, a good run towards an NRL debut with the Sharks. But yeah, this game off, uh, kicking off sorry at 12.45pm on Sunday. I should be out there out at Kellyville Park, hopefully be able to cover this one. Just got to wait and see what my calendar contains. But um, I'm not sure if this one will be broadcast on Facebook by NSWRL. Alrighty, keeping the show rolling into the NRLW. This one is on Sunday as well. Kickoff at 12 o'clock p.m. out at McDonald Jones Stadium as the Eels get a home game away from home as part of the uh, consolidated NRLW rounds. Uh, Dean Witters has made a couple of changes this week in his team with 60s. Uh, young rookie Emily Curtin retains her place at 5'8 after an impressive debut. Rakia Horn is scheduled to come back from a foot injury on the wing, pushing Abby Church back to the bench. Nita Maynard is also back uh, at dummy half, which is a big boost to the team, obviously. Philomena Hanisi, who unofficially started last week against the Titans, gets her first team with Tuesday start in the number eight. Swapping jerseys of Kennedy Charrington goes from eight to ten. Uh, aside from that, I believe the Eels are unchanged in the starting lineup. Shirley Mullingy drops back to the bench due to Maynard's inclusion. Abby Church, likewise, I mentioned already back on the bench. Serena Nitoka Toka comes on now, uh, returning to the team as a utility player on the bench. Ellie Johnson holding down the final spot on that four girl or four lady interchange. Extended roster features Christine Pauly, Jade Effort, and Tess Staines, Mariva Swan, Katrina Fippen, Teresa Eiton, and Tamaya Kelly Science, who drops out of a team this week for the first time in the season. Maybe just getting the week off to refresh. It is worth mentioning, although Aiden is named in the team, she's actually out until round five, I believe, with facial lacerations. Uh, we saw during that game against the Gold Coast, she was getting running repairs throughout the entire contest, the old Vaseline and um, uh, on-ground stitching and whatnot, and it just couldn't contain the nasty gash that she had, so giving her some time to heal. They're taking on the Sydney Roosters, coming off their first win of the season over the Newcastle Knights, and a great chance for the girls for the ladies to press their claims towards the postseason 60s if they can get the win on the weekend. Look, there's no doubt that the Roosters have not been able to get the results that their roster probably warrants. So it, to me, it's a danger game because you don't look at the fact that the Roosters only just got their first win. I look at the roster that they've got there and knowing that they're going to be able to turn it on, they will be a tough opponent. Uh, great inclusion last week with Emily Curtin um, getting the a spot in the halves. I thought she played a tremendous game. Um, it was great for the girls to win in front of the home fans. The chant was happening for them. Um, you could see they were pumped. A very strong second-half performance from Maddie Studden as well. And uh, Bo Vitti-Welsh, well, there's not... 
there's not too much you can say about it. I put up on Instagram that she's the real Bo Nose. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, let's hope that they can continue on their winning ways because a win this week pretty much guarantees that they'll play finals footy. And that's going to be must-see TV as they go to McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle. But before we get to that game, in terms of the chronological order on the weekend, we'll know the result of the NRL fixture because they're kicking off at 5.30pm on the Saturday evening as part of the uh, middle game in that uh, Super Saturday Fox block. Eels travelling out to Points Bet Stadium to take on the Sharks. And the fallout from the uh, game against the Titans didn't just include Sean Russell's sixties. Uh, big Ryan Madison picking up a hamstring injury that's going to sideline him for a few weeks, unfortunately, and uh, leaving the Eels a little bit uh, short on depth here, but they've got some quality replacements, thankfully, in the short term. We obviously don't want too many more injuries because not many teams can absorb uh, five or six frontline players going down, which is what the Eels are now at, which is kind of scary because Murata Niakore also has a calf strain from training, I believe. But Arthur's named his team as such. Uh, captaining or co-captain the team at fullback is Quinton Gufferson with Wanga Blake pushing out to the left wing, Bowie Simonson on the right. Will Penasini will be partnering Simonson on that right edge with Tom Opacic coming off that four-try effort in reserve grade on uh, on the left-centred position in the halves, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses. Uh, the forward, forward pack, the only change this week, is at lock forward, which means that it's uh, Junior Paulo and Big Reg, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, in the front row of Reed Marnie, Sean Lane and Zai Papali on the edges, and then I think almost surprisingly maybe Oregon Kafusi picked into the starting team over Matt Kesey Makatoa, but uh, Oggy getting the chance to impress his future employees this week, and hopefully he has excuse me, hopefully he has a, a big game there. Uh, but on the bench, that means the big Mac attack, Mount Krakatoa himself, Makahesi uh, in the fourteen, Bryce Cartwright, Ray Stone, and Nathan Brown making his return to the NRL after a. A fairly solid, I'd say, about 50 minutes in reserve grade last week. Extended roster features Jake Arthur, Mitch Rain, Kai Rodwell, Hayes Perrin, Wiramu Greg, and Solomon and Iduki, and finally Samuel Loizu. It's 24 men this year, i got to remember. Uh, so, yeah, lots of backline options there for the Eels in case something goes wrong and, and the curse continues the training. They've got Naiduki, Loizu, and Perrin all there ready to jump in in the extended roster. But I think, by and large, 60s, uh, quite straightforward uh, substitutions or replacements from Brad Arthur here. Opacic is the no-nonsense guy that you know what you're going to get, and he plugs into the centres nicely. Wanga Blake, we know, can do a fairly good job on the wing. Um, the alternative, obviously, being playing a rookie like Samuel Loizu or maybe even the Rora Solomon in Iduki on the flanks, and that's a big, big gambit, especially when you're pretty confident the team get the job done elsewhere. But yeah, otherwise, Oggy starting at lock forward over Makatoa, or even Ray Stone. I don't think there's any drama there. I just think that Makatoa has got the better engine to play a bigger minutes and Oggy can come off the bench, but we'll wait and see how that plays out on the day. Yeah, I think basically what VA is going for there is experience. And uh, and I think once you start to see Nathan Brown out there on the field, I, I wonder then how many minutes he's going to play. It may well be that from the moment that he comes out on the field, he stays out on the field. Yeah, so, that's true. And um, on the on the flip side, I don't think there's too many surprises in the Sharks lineup. Will Candy at fullback, Katoa and uh, Ikavalo on the flanks, Rami and Immortal on the centres. The young Matt Moylan, forever young Matty Moylan, 5'8 with Nico Hines at halfback. They've got Rudolph, Hamanueli and Blake Braley in the front row. Uh, Nakora, Wilton and Fanukin, who captains the team from lock forward. On their bench, uh, Aiden Tolman, Talakai, Royce Hunt, Andrew Fafita. And their extended roster is uh, Luke Metcalf, Cam McInnes, who is a chance of coming into this game if he passes a fitness test. 
Connor Tracy, uh, Jensen Tuompia, Lachlan Miller, Jaden Beryl, and Franklin Pele. Uh, this is a pretty solid Sharks outfit, 60s. They uh, fell just short of the Raiders due to a, a really fancy set play from, from Ricky's man. And uh, some probably uh, a slow start also hampering them in that contest. But yeah, they, they've got a bit of strike there. Nico Hines looks pretty handy at halfback. Uh, and they've got some good finishes in the back line. And they've got a bit of a uh, rough and tumble in that forward pack. Rudolph and Hamanueli don't mind to rumble. Nikora brings a bit of class to the edges. And Fanukin is a, a rock at lock forward. Yeah, I'm trying to work out the way that they're going to play this because, as you said, they've got the rough and tumble in the forwards. But they've also got that pace out wide, especially with uh, William Kennedy really poses a threat the way he injects himself into the back line. And if you give him just that little bit too much space, if you hang off him, he's through the he's through the gap. So we have to make sure that we get our right side sorted. I, I know that Kennedy, just on the bits that I've seen of Kennedy, he seems to prefer... Uh, coming in on their right side in attack yeah, rather than their left side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that they've been working on uh, hitting their left or, or the Eels' right. So it's something where we can't afford to hang off there. I think that, you know, we we have to expect that they're going to hit their edges and out wide despite the strength that they've got in the forwards. Should be a good contest. Obviously, I'm expecting that the Eels will get over the, the Sharks. Um you know, I'd like to think that perhaps we're going to play this a bit tighter this week. I, I Don't get me wrong. I, I I like the expansive football that we played in the first half, but it really didn't seem to help our mindset in the, in, in that half. We The errors were there um, and, and maybe take the errors out and it's a, it's a different ball game, but it, it just seemed like, our, our minds were all about almost a game of touch football in that first half. And we'll, while it was we'll entertaining... so easily at times that maybe we fell into that trap. Yeah, while it was entertaining, I, I, I just felt that we weren't in there for the physical contest, whereas the second half became that physical contest. And, um, and, and we saw the ball being turned in back towards the forwards a lot more in the second half. And, and um, Jake Arthur copying... A, a bit of criticism in his role in the halves where the ball was being turned back inwards rather than outwards. But in retrospect, I I think that the mindset of being in the grind was the way to get the win last week. I, I just had that feeling that the way that the, the game was opening up, that that was suiting the Titans more than it was the Eels. So I'd be interested to see how we play against the Sharks, as I said, I suspect that we might be aiming for a bit more of a grind, um, but uh, you know that's just supposition. So, uh, yeah, interested to see how it plays out. I, I mate, what, what's what's your tip? Because I'm I'm tipping the Eels by eight points. I'm going to tip, um, a, say, an eighteen ten scoreline, and uh, first try scorer. I'm going to go for. Um, the Iceman, Papali'i, Papali'i, as first try scorer. If I if I recall back to the Para podcast this week, I think I tipped a 10-point victory. Uh, similarly, you know, kind of a tough game where you get the double digits but not much else in, ter- <clears throat> in terms of your lead. So I think I went 22-12 or 20-10 off the top of my head. So kind of the same ballpark as you, just that extra two points on the margin. First try scorer, oh, um, I think... 
Hmm. I think it might be Quentin Gufferson this week. I feel like he's going to be looking to bounce back, and we know he's got a, a fantastic cutout pass on that right-to-left uh, side, but I think he'll get over early for the first try scorer for the Eels. Well, mate, it's um, as you say, we're going to be a little bit earlier in the week with the game being on the Saturday this week. It's the 5.30 game, is it? 5.30 slot, yeah. So sandwich in the middle on Super Saturday. Yep, yep. So, um, look, we pride ourselves on on getting these early season points. I mentioned through the week that the Eels have not finished any round in the NRL outside of the top eight. Longest streak in the competition, baby. Yeah, better than round the storm. one, twenty nineteen. Better than round the roosters. Yeah, it's great. A crazy little bit of our uh, history they currently own right now. Which obviously the the roosters and storm have got plenty of top eight finishes, but longest active top eight streak on a week to week basis in the competition. Yeah, and uh, this week uh, a loss this week. Given it was a it was a narrow victory last week, you you wouldn't want a loss this week because maybe that puts it under threat. Mm. So. Uh, I, I think this is, uh, it, whilst it's not a must-win game, I think it's an important game in the Eels' planning for the season because, first of all, you want to s- start to snag some of those away games. I think the Sharks are going to be stronger as the year goes on, yep. as they start to get used to their new combinations. New coach, new combinations, 100%. Yep, yep. So this is probably the time to get them before they've they've really Call hit us. their stride. Yep. Um, so... Uh, yeah, and, and as I said, I, I'm expecting more of a grind from the Eels. But again, that's supposition, so we'll see how it plays out. So there's going to be plenty of fallout, hopefully positive, from the weekend for us to break down uh, on the tip sheet and on the Cumberland Throw in general. Got a lot of uh, different articles getting pumped out these days. I was just looking back on the uh, Monday or Tuesday after our game against the Titans in both the NRL and NRLW, and I couldn't believe how much content there was, mate. So it's always a bit of an eye-opener when you get a chance to step back and have a look at it and uh, feel free if you're listening to join into that conversation at any point. We always love hearing everyone's opinions on the footy. And like 60 started this show with, just want to remind you, if you are a voting eligible member of the Parramatta Leagues Club, make sure to get your vote posted in, whether it's electronic or... Do they do in-person voting still, 60s? Um, I, I'm Look, I'm sure that the if you wanted to get down to the club and talk to the club and, and, that, walk you and vote, uh, but the, the best thing to do in that regard is... If you haven't received your voting material, then get in touch with the Leagues Club. Uh, they've got an email address there. But I'm sure if you um, get in touch with the club, ring them up, let them know that you, you'd like to vote, um, you haven't received any information, then they'll be able to help you there. Please vote. Um, remember, the, the we battled for so long to have the right sort of governance, mm-hmm. to have stability in the club because the league's club is the owner of the Parramatta Eels National Rugby League team. And we get the directors that are on the board from the league's club, the two of them that are on the football board. So you can see why it's important there as well. So yes, make sure you vote before Sunday. Don't let that date slip by. Um, uh, you know, let, let's make the votes count. Exactly. Beautiful way to wrap up the podcast. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. You can always drop a comment on the uh, the Cumberland Throw itself for this, or you can give us a bit of a like and a subscribe on SoundCloud. But otherwise, stay safe, enjoy the football this weekend. We'll catch you guys on the other side. Go the Eels.